Welcome to the Vine Life Podcast. We're a church in Manchester who love Jesus, each other, and our city. Catch up on this week's message and more. Go, thank you. Um, I know most of you in the room, but hello, if I don't. Uh, I'm John, been part of this church family for a little while, and um, I'm going to be talking to you this morning, um, continuing kind of where Ralph kicked off last week, talking about this idea of overflow. So if you missed out last week, um, Ralph was talking about overflowing with thankfulness and trust. Um, He kind of pulled on this passage from Jeremiah where um, the people of of, uh, Judah had been just relying on false gods. They've been relying on their own strength. They hadn't been seeking the living water that God offers. And that was ultimately one of the many things that led to their downfall. And as Ralph said, you know, living a life of overflow, it's not a, it's not a two-tier Christian life. It's not like there's those of you who have achieved the state of overflow and everything is now fine and there's all the rest of us just grumbling along in the grey. But I do think there is a bit of a spectrum to be found here. I do think we can point ourselves towards living a different kind of life in Jesus, one that isn't just all about our own efforts and trying to do the right thing all the time, one that does draw on the living water that Jesus offers to put inside each one of us. Um, And this morning we're going to revisit um, the passage that Ralph talked about last week as well, Um, Jesus' encounter with the woman and the Samaritan woman at the well in John chapter 4. But before we do that, there's a couple of other things I wanted to say um, about this theme of overflow. Because um, I've had this this word in my head um, for quite a lot of kind of the last half of last year. I was like, I was just thinking to myself, what does it look like to live a life that flows over that isn't just all about my own efforts, that is about allowing Jesus to fill me and just be him to come out of me, to flow out of me in what I do. I was reflecting on the kind of person that I want to be, the kind of attitude I want to live my life with. And I kept hearing these words of Jesus about living water, about putting streams of living water inside of us. You know, a few different people prayed it over me at different times. One Sunday, uh, my son Asaph was in Game Changers and came out with this little postcard um, that he'd written on. It was like, it was to dad, Jesus is going to put stream, like a river of life inside of you. And I was like, all right, God's speaking to me through my son. I love this. Um, I think he may have been fed that line it's somewhere in, along the way in Game Changers, but it spoke to me, so I'll take it. So I was pretty convinced that God was speaking to me at least. Um, and so the first time, what, not the first time, Ignore that half sentence I just said. Um, One of the other times that Jesus talks about living water in John 7. um, It's on this occasion. This is going to be on the screen. Um, John 7, uh, verse 37 says, On the last and greatest day of the festival, this is the festival of tabernacles or of booths, um, Jesus stood up and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who's thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, the scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the spirit, whom those um, who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the spirit had not yet been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. On hearing his words, some of the people said, surely this man is a prophet. 
Others said, he is the Messiah. Prophet and Messiah, I want you to keep those two words in your head. They'll pop up again later. It's really interesting, Jesus says, as the scriptures have said. And um, as you probably know, John's gospel was originally written in Greek. And, um, and in Greek, which you might not know, there's not a lot of punctuation going on. So um, this um, phrase could read in a couple of different ways. Jesus could be saying, if you believe in me, like the scriptures have said, like the belief is the thing that the scriptures are talking about. Or he could be saying, um, the scriptures have said that rivers of living water are going to flow out of you, so you need to believe in me. But what he is doing is he's drawing on this concept of living water that his contemporaries and the first hearers of this gospel, the first readers of this gospel, would have known about. The concept of living water um, is a really important, um, has really important ritual significance for Jews, both in the Second Temple period and for traditional Jews today. Um, so living water is water that hasn't been touched by human beings, that hasn't been um, kind of had its um, flow interfered with by people. So living water is rivers and it's rain because that's pure water. That's water that isn't adulterated by human interaction. Um, so when John was going out and baptizing people in the River Jordan, he was baptizing them in the living water of the river. And when um, Jesus is at this wedding in Cana in Galilee, and he says to the guys, you need to fill up these water pots um, uh, with, with water. Um, those pots were there for ritual washing, and those pots would have been filled with living water, so either collected rainwater or water from a nearby river or stream. Because it was important that that water that washed them clean came straight as they saw it, straight from God, because God was the one that provided the rain. God was the one that provided the rivers. So this idea of living water, it would have made sense to the first hearers of this gospel. But let's jump into John chapter 4. This is a decent chunk of scripture, so following the same advice that my wife gave earlier, which is almost certainly always a good idea. Um, John chapter 4 says, A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Give me a drink, Jesus said to her, because his disciples had gone into town to buy food. How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? She asked him. For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered, If you knew the gift of God and who was saying to you, Give me a drink, you would ask him, and he would give you living water. Sir, said the woman, you don't even have a bucket, and the well is deep. So where do you get this living water? You aren't greater than our father Jacob, are you? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and livestock. Jesus said, everyone who drinks from this water will get thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water that I give him will never get thirsty again. In fact, the water I give him will become a well of water, springing up in him for eternal life. Sir, the woman said to him, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and come here to draw water. Again, she's still not quite getting it, is she? 
Go call your husband, he told her, and come back here. I don't have a husband, she answered. You have correctly said, I don't have a husband, Jesus said. For you've had five husbands, and the man you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. Sir, the woman replied, I see that you are a prophet. And they have a little chat about worship, which we are going to model next week. We're going to be talking about worship. Um, uh, And then jumping down to verse 25. The woman says to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, who's called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Jesus told her, I, the one speaking to you, am he. Kind of sounds a bit like Yoda there, doesn't he? Um, But Jesus is claiming to be the Messiah. So you've got a prophet and Messiah again in this passage. Then the woman left her water jar, went into town and told the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They left the town and made their way to him. So it's because that she meets Jesus that everything is different for this woman. It's because she's come into contact with a prophet, with a Messiah. You know, it really struck me as I was reflecting on these two stories that these two descriptions of Jesus show up in both accounts. Jesus, the prophet, Jesus, the Messiah. So a prophet in this context is someone who speaks on God's behalf, they're God's mouthpiece. You know, in the biblical text, more often than not, the prophets are not so much telling the future or giving words of knowledge, but they're calling people back to faithfulness to God in both their worship, so think about Jeremiah, and particularly in how they care for the poor, in God's call to embrace the vulnerable. So I wonder if there's something about living in overflow that maybe changes the the affectations of our heart um, and embraces the prophetic call to faithfulness to the one true God and to pursue justice. And I wonder if there's something about the messiahship of Jesus, that he's the anointed, he's the saviour king. That's what that word means. It, It means anointed one. There's something about his being the anointed saviour king Something happens that when we receive and honour him for who he is, who he really is, that causes his living water to stir up inside of us. But what's abundantly clear to me is that Jesus, he's the source of this living water. Jesus is the source. So if we want to overflow, we have to get ourselves connected to Jesus. But how, how do we do that? Right, Because if someone just said to me, John, just go and connect with Jesus. I've been around the church a while. I've got you know, some ideas, but I was reflecting on some scripture, and I felt like Psalm 63, which is actually attributed to another Messiah, a king called David. Um, Psalm 63, I think, has some keys for us to just get around Jesus. We can't all spend our time just hanging around at random wells, hoping that Jesus is going to show up. But there are some things we can do. And David, like he had various seasons of hanging out in the wilderness. And Psalm 63 in particular, I think David is attributed to a time in David's life when he's in the wilderness. Nothing is going particularly well for him. But he says this, God, you are my God. 
I eagerly seek you. I thirst for you. My body faints for you. In a land that is dry, desolate, and without water. Like he's, he's going through it. So I gaze on you in the sanctuary. I see your strength and your glory. My lips will glorify you because your faithful love is better than life. So I will bless you as long as I live. At your name, I will lift up my hands. You satisfy me with rich food. My mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I think of you as I lie in my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches because you are my helper. I will rejoice in the shadow of your wings. I follow close to you. Your right hand holds me. But those who intend to destroy my life will go into the depths of the earth. They'll be given over to the power of the sword. They'll become a meal for jackals. But the king will rejoice in the Lord. All who swear by him will boast for the mouths of lighters will be shut. I don't know exactly what to do with those last three verses. But I just want to tell you that some of this tension is in there. And let's not run away from it, right? But look at the rest of the psalm. How many verbs, how many action words from there? David says, I'm, I'm going to gaze on you. In the sanctuary, like, I'm going to look intentionally at you, Lord. My lips are going to glorify you. Like, I'm going to start speaking about how great you are. I'm going to bless you. That probably means to actually, like, we say the word bless a lot, and I don't really know what it means. In this context, it means to bow down and worship. I'll lift up my hands. Like, it gets his whole body involved. My mouth will praise you with joyful lips. I'm going to think about you when I'm lying in my bed and meditate on you in the night watches. Like, I don't know if you ever have seasons of being awake in the night. I have had some of those. And do you know what? I've not always found it very easy to meditate on the good things of the Lord in the night. I usually end up picking up my phone and just trying to, like, amuse myself for long enough that I fall back asleep again. But it's a challenge to me. I'll rejoice in the shadow of the wings. I'll follow close to you because your right hand holds me. Like getting close to Jesus, being, having our thirst for him quenched isn't a passive act. Like it's not, it is all on Jesus, but at the same time it's on us too. We have to do something as well. And I think we have to keep doing these things day by day by day. Like, showing up at church on a Sunday, super important. Being surrounded by people who are pursuing Jesus together, super important. But the six other days of the week, and a daily practice of carving out time to be with Jesus and allowing his spirit to well up inside us, it's going to be far more transformative than we might initially give it credit for. And it doesn't have to be spectacular. We don't have to be dancing around the room. Just be consistent. You know, I think one of the biggest mistakes, you know, is we're in Sunday the 14th of January today. We're apparently three days away from the 17th of January, which is statistically the day you are most likely to give up on a New Year's resolution. So you've almost made it, guys. It's three more days to go, then you can give up. Or four more days, and then you're slightly better than the average person, which may matter to you or not. Um, but I think one of the big mistakes we make when we're trying to change our lives is we try and do something that's probably a bit too radical. We're like, do you know what? I'm going to, like, I've been struggling to be motivated in the morning and I 
scrape myself out of bed at 8.30 and get downstairs and, you know, manage to be ready to work for work at 9. But I'm going to get out of bed at 5 a.m. and I'm going to spend two hours in prayer every single morning and then I'm gonna, and that will be the thing that changes my life. Well, could you start with 10 minutes, maybe? See where that takes you. Start small, start manageable. Like, if your life doesn't look like a regular regular rhythm of time with Jesus each day, start as small as 10 minutes. I'm pretty sure we can all find 10 minutes. It doesn't even have to be in the morning if you don't want it to be. You don't have to read vast ways of, of Scripture. You don't have to read the Bible in a year. Or that's a really good thing if you want to do it. Start small, start manageable. But put some of those verbs of Psalm 63 into action. Glorify God with your words. Praise him. Meditate on his words. Rejoice in him. The other thing that I notice about overflow, and the Samaritan woman demonstrates this beautifully, is that you can't keep overflow to yourself. I love how the woman, she meets Jesus at the well. And the first thing she does, she goes and tells her friends. She goes and tells her friends what's happened. And to be honest, given what Jesus has just talked to her about, this probably takes some stepping out of shame for her to be able to do that as well. But she just can't keep it to herself. So to me, an overflowing life isn't one that you just keep to yourself. And I'm especially thinking about who we are when we're around people that aren't Christians. When we're with family, or we're at work, or at uni, or like all those other places we show up. Do we change our words and our behavior to fit in? Do we put a lid on it? Do we put a lid on Jesus so we don't look like the weird Christian one. Or maybe there's a different way around it. Maybe there's an opportunity to, to actually just be genuine. If Jesus is worth following, he's worth following with everything that we have, right? So actually, why would I be a different person? For me, when I go and play basketball with my friends, none of them know Jesus yet. But why would, I, why would I change who I am? It's just who I am, just who, just who Jesus is to me. You know, for some of us, again, the first step might even just be saying, oh, yeah, I went to church on Sunday when someone asked how your weekend was. Like, when we're talking about starting small, we're not talking about having a 45-minute, 17-point gospel presentation featuring multimedia ready to go. Just being honest about who we are. Just not putting a lid on our extracurricular Christian activities. Because I, I, I do wonder, given that the life that Jesus offers us is something that didn't cost us anything, that he gave us for free, for us to keep that to ourselves is just profoundly selfish, isn't it, Really? And I'm as guilty of it as anyone, just for the record. Like, I don't want to be selfish with the free gift that Jesus gave me. I want to live open-handedly with it. I want to share what Jesus is doing in my life.
And, you know, we don't need to come into every conversation with a heathen, with an unbeliever, with an agenda. But we just have to allow Jesus to flow out of us and not shy away from being honest and true to who we are. And I think Jesus knows this. And this is why he says in Luke chapter 6, Give and it will be given to you, a good measure. Pressed down, shaken together and running over. It will be poured into your lap. With the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And often when, especially people with microphones, talk about this passage, they're usually talking about money, aren't they? Um, And maybe it's about money, but Jesus has just been talking about judgment, about condemnation and about forgiveness. Um, And those are his examples that he uses. But I think it also applies to this life in the spirit that Jesus offers us. Because this living water is his spirit poured out in us. And if we're ready to give it away, how much more is he ready to fill us up again? The measure that you use, it'll be measured back to you. So even if you see it as an entirely self-interested exercise, the more of Jesus you can give away, the more of Jesus you might be able to have for yourself. It's a bit bonkers. Because ultimately, if you put a you put a block at the end of that pipe, the water's going to stop flowing through it. If you block up your taps, no matter how much you turn it on, no water's going to come out. But if you allow it to flow out of you, if we don't put a lid on what Jesus is doing. It reminded me of a song that um, I used to sing at not I used to sing, that we used to sing at primary school about love being like a magic penny. Anyone remember that one? Um, Hold it tight and you won't have any, but lend it, spend it, and you have so many that they'll roll all over the floor. I think that's another way of saying what Jesus said in Luke 6, perhaps. But that living water has to keep moving to be living. Living water that's not going anywhere gets stagnant, full of algae. Isn't good for anything. Thrown away. So why would you keep it to yourself? And also if you keep reading on in Luke 4, you do find out that all those people that came back to meet Jesus with that Samaritan woman, they're like, yeah, we're in. We're sold. This guy, this is the, he's the real deal, this Jesus. And they meet him for themselves. And I believe that ripple effect kept going on and on because of that one woman's obedience to say, yes, all right, I've just, had this, I just, had, just met this man that told me everything I ever knew and I've got to tell somebody about it. That's all I've got to say to you this morning, really. There's two things. Get yourself with Jesus. And I will probably always say this anytime I have a microphone in my hand. Find a way of making time for Jesus every day in your life. Even if it's just a few minutes at a time, find a way of getting to the source and put those those verbs of Psalm 63 into action. And don't keep it to yourself. Don't put a lid on what Jesus is doing in your life, especially especially when you are around people that don't know him yet, that need to know, 
that free gift that you've received as well. So I want to pray for you before we move on. So, um, Ralph, you might want to come up and just be ready to, to hand over in just a sec. But if you, maybe there's a, you're thinking a few different things. Maybe you're thinking, oh, do you know what, I was with my family over Christmas and I just could have said this or I could have said that. And I, like last time I was with my friends, I did this really stupid thing and I haven't shown up and I haven't shared the love of Jesus. I just want you to know there's no condemnation. Just bring it to the Lord, say sorry, and go again next time. And maybe you're someone that's like struggling to put a daily rhythm of being with Jesus into practice. I want to pray for you as well. And there's probably a whole bunch of other things that are just on your heart as well. And so why don't we just take a moment, invite Holy Spirit to come and allow Jesus to move with, with us and in us. So come, Holy Spirit, the Spirit that Jesus promised. Come and be the living water that wells up inside of us. Lord, we want to be people that know what it is to be with you, to encounter you, Lord, when we're together and in our day-by-day lives as well. So God, whatever it is that we need to do, we need to change, Lord, even if we're amazing at it, we want more. Would you help us make space for you in our day-to-day lives, God? Lord, and where we've put a lid on what you're doing, where we've kept you to ourselves, where we've had a profound encounter and not told anyone about it. God, would you forgive us? Lord, help us to live authentically. Lord, you're too good to keep to ourselves. So would you show us? Would you well up inside of us with our love and enthusiasm for you flow out of us to those around us that many would come and see what you've done and who you are amen amen hope you enjoyed today's message if you want to find out more head to our website vinelife.co.uk or follow us on instagram god bless and see you soon